Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens. Brought to you by Compassion International, a worldwide ministry bringing hope and Jesus to children in need. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the Compassion logo to sponsor a child. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Very happy to be back with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable with all the guys, uh, myself, Bob, and John, and Roger, and Neil. Gentlemen, how are you today? Doing well, Bob. Doing well, Bob. How are you? Great, Bob. Oh, very well, thank you. Always good talking to you guys. And so, a couple things we're going to be hitting today, a little bit later on in this podcast, we'll talk about the impeachment trial, how it's going so far, uh, what we can and should glean from this. But before we do, we're, we're going to talk about uh, this very interesting Time magazine article that came out. It's entitled The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. Uh, and you read this piece and it's really kind of an interesting piece because uh, my take on it, and I'm really curious to get all of you guys' take on this, and Roger, we'll go to you probably first in just a second here, but my immediate take on this is that it appears that the Time Magazine piece is acknowledging that, yes, there was uh, a large concerted effort to make sure that Donald Trump was defeated and that uh, his voices and the information defending him was somehow censored and silenced. But we consider this a good and noble and a right thing to do. And so therefore, it was strategically the correct and moral thing to do on behalf of the country. But you read between the lines, and it sounds like they're pretty much admitting, yeah, there was one big conspiratorial cabal to try to steal this election from Donald Trump. But since he's evil, therefore this was a noble cause. And and I just want to, as we kick this off, I just want to read a a few isolated excerpts from this time piece. Uh, They say, quote, the odd thing happened, an odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. Trump said on December 2nd, quote, Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the, anoint the winner, even while many key states were being counted, end quote. And then Time Magazine says, in a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. They then go on to say, they got states to change voting systems and laws and help secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction couple other pieces that says, this inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election based on access to the group's inner workings, never before seen documents, and interviews with dozens of those involved from across the political spectrum. It is the story of an unprecedented, creative, determined campaign whose success also reveals how close the nation came to disaster. And then this line really stands out to me, quote, this was a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And then they go on to talk about Mike Pothorzer, who's the political director of the AFL-CIO, America's largest federation of unions, and how he came involved in, in much of the organizing effort in this. And so, Roger Marsh, let me throw this over to you first. Roger Marsh, of course, of the bottom line of the People's Republic of California. Uh, as I read through this, it's clearly written uh, in an anti-Trump vein, but it seems to me that, we're, that what they're pretty much saying is – we're validating all of the accusations of the Trump supporters that there was a concerted manipulative effort in big tech corporations, the media and everything else, censorship of information and such to rig this election against Donald Trump for Joe Biden. But we don't consider it rigging because it was a good and noble cause. And Trump's information and his supporters were presenting misinformation. And so therefore, we had to protect the American public, protect the election. 
and make sure to protect uh, the country from getting four more years of Joe Biden. So therefore, what we did was noble. But I don't know. I'm seeing the, the, the Trump supporters going, wait a minute here. You guys are kind of validating what we have been complaining about, just putting a noble face on it. But I'd love to get your take and your analysis on this piece, Roger. Well, you know, it's interesting, Bob, because the, 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 this is just a pull quote dream in terms of everything that's coming out of this article where they just freely admit. I mean, uh, Molly Ball, the writer for Time Magazine, uh, basically acknowledging that this is what, in fact, uh, did happen. And the only difference is orange man bad, so therefore anything Donald Trump does is evil. Everything that we do now is good and pure and noble. It's it's just leftism on display. Uh, the, the, the four words that I grafted out of this in the, immediately were we want to make sure that the election was free fair credible and uncorrupted and the way we did so was by corrupting it i mean isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard but it, it's it's mind-boggling i think it, it's breathtaking in the arrogance of a good friend of mine i shared this with him over the weekend and he wrote back he said this is kind of like wandering into a restaurant that has a lounge and there's some drunk guy sitting at the bar and he's freely de- describing how he's just fleeced your parents out of their life savings and he's bragging about it and he thinks that you know it's never going to come back on him right and you're the one who got victimized by it the four of us are all sitting here with mouth agape just kind of saying what in the world are these guys talking about because they're acknowledging everything that the president was saying the election was stolen it was and they said well yeah well we, it isn't what would you say it, it wasn't rigged it was fortified <laughs> oh my goodness we have we have to rig the election to make it fair i mean what the heck it's it's this is just it's it's mind-boggling but it's you know at least it's out in the open it is the twilight zone it really is a case you're right where the left can outright say this is what we're doing okay yes that's right i robbed the bank i stole the money from the bank But because I stole the money from the bank, that doesn't make it a robbery. What I did was I really protected the integrity of the banking system by making sure that those large corporate banks didn't get away with their dishonesty and fraud. So therefore, this was a good and noble thing that I did. And you cut through it. I was like, wait a minute, you're admitting you robbed the bank and you're bragging about it and you're thinking there's not going to be consequences. So I, uh, no, look, Roger, I'm I'm with you. Uh, Neil Boron, of course, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. What to, what's your take on this Time Magazine article? How should we how should we read this? I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around it. I mean, huh. it, because for all the reasons you guys just described, um, the one tone I picked up in here throughout, of course, uh, the one tone was that uh, that he would not win the election, and you know, therefore, I mean, this this concept of like fortifying the results. Uh, because the assumption was that he was going to try to steal it back. Um, so, But the reason I say that's an issue is because the whole thing was founded on the idea of a free and fair election, which means anybody could win. But the assumption here was, oh, he's not going to win, and we just need to guard against the fact that he's going to try to steal it back, which there's pre-assumptions attached to that that are disturbing, and I'm sure we're going to analyze it further. But, yeah, I mean, it was... Like, are you kidding me right now? And the other thing is that, you know, sometimes when you do something wrong, you want to begin to prep people for the information that's about to come out. Like if you're playing baseball in the backyard and a window gets broken or something, um, you know, your parents get home and it's like, hey, uh, it was kind of a rough day around here. And, you know, I I had some of my friends over and and, uh, they did bad stuff. But you're you're sort of uh, hedging your bets. In other words, you're you're getting them prepared for the fact that, that something bad happened, but then you're going to try to do the, the shell game to help them understand that it really wasn't what they think happened and that somehow you're not culpable in this whole thing. Anyway, the point is, uh, it, it seems to me like they're trying to to uh, preempt the idea that maybe there's going to be a further investigation someday and all this stuff's going to come out in the wash and they're kind of whitewashing our understanding of uh, the manipulation of this election in advance so that we're not as shocked when we see it or that we already believe a certain narrative when the truth starts to emerge. I don't know. It's just, it was an amazing piece. And I, I, yeah, I don't my see mouth is hanging here. It's, it's gaping open, just like I think Roger said. I don't see it that way. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see it as they admitting anything they did wrong. I think in these guys' mind, they did nothing wrong. They have nothing to apologize for. They don't care what comes out in the future. 
this is their victory lap is the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. They're basically celebrating the fact that they were more organized than the other side. They did everything they possibly could to make sure that their guy won, including, you know, turning even even folks that would have normally been in the Trump camp away from him. I mean, I, I look at these guys as, as basically the, the last victory lap around the racetrack where you're just, you know, sticking your arm up in the air saying, hey, I won. It doesn't matter how I got here. It doesn't matter how I crossed the finish line. The reality is I did it first, and I really don't care how I did it, and I don't care... I don't even care if anybody knows how I did it. This is my victory lap. That's how I read it. Yeah, and basically, we cheated, and that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah, we don't care. Yeah, because that just shows how superior we are, how much smarter we are, that we beat you guys at the game, and we used dishonesty and deception to do it. But since it was for a noble end goal, getting rid of Orange Man bad, therefore, uh, we didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and I'll tell you what, let's do this. I want to take a short break, and then we're going to talk some more about this as well. Uh, more uh, with John and Roger and Neil and myself as we continue this National Crawford Roundtable. But before we continue, I know when we get to talking about all of the stuff going on in, in politics and in culture and everything else, sometimes, folks, it's, it's easy to forget about people that are in horrible need. And I just I want to take a moment right now and ask everybody, will you take a deep breath and will you give some thoughts to starving children around the world? As you listen to this podcast, everybody, there are children right now in poverty-stricken villages around the world that are literally dying of starvation. They're dying of malnutrition. They're dying of disease. They are begging for food and they're going multiple days without eating anything. That's life for them every day. Think about how blessed we are in this country. Well, Compassion International is a Christian ministry that's been around for 68 years, and they have over 7,000 child development centers set up in the poorest villages around the world. And those child development centers have hundreds of children in there that are getting all the hot food they want every day and clean drinking water and medical care and classroom education, taught to use computers. But most importantly, they're being prayed with. They're being taught about Jesus Christ. They're in worship services and Bible study every day. Their lives are being changed, folks. But it takes money to do this, all right? $38 a month, a buck and a quarter a day. So I'm asking everybody listening to us right now, will you make the decision to sponsor one of these children for $38 a month? All you got to do is this. Just go online right now to crawfordmediagroup.net. That's crawfordmediagroup.net and click on the Compassion International link. You'll see pictures of children there, and you can sponsor one right online. But would you do that now? CrawfordMediaGroup.net. As we continue this discussion with John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron, myself, Bob Duco, we're going to be talking a little bit later on this hour about the uh, impeachment trial in the Senate, where we stand with that. Right now we're talking about this Time Magazine article that pretty much acknowledges the shadow campaign, as they describe it, that was at work to uh, ensure a Joe Biden victory and a Donald Trump loss. And, you know, Roger, I want to come back to you if I could. Roger Marsh, one of the things that stood out to me here as well, and there's almost a disconnect from reality, they reference, as I mentioned before, Mike Podhorzer, who is the political director of the AFL-CIO. That's America's largest federation of unions. Okay. Uh, And how involved he was in coordinating a lot of this effort. But here's what they say in the Time Magazine article, quote, sometime in the fall of 2019, Mike Podhorzer became convinced the election was headed for disaster. In other words, Trump was going to win. And he was determined to protect it. And then when they explain in the Time Magazine article how the, how, how the uh, election was, quote, protected, they, they refer to it, their words, as a, quote, well-funded cabal uh, that we influenced perceptions, changed rules and laws, steered media coverage, and controlled the flow of information. Uh, and, and they're bragging about this like this was an actual positive thing. And I guess – this is what this is what's just staggering to me, Roger, because uh, they're saying out in the light of day, yeah, we changed laws, we we manipulated information, we we did all that kind of stuff, uh, and it seems like this should be viewed in a negative light. And I'm just kind of curious how liberals 
and maybe some independents will view something like this. Will this give credibility, this Time Magazine article, to the conservatives and the Trump supporters? Will it cause maybe a little bit of vindication to be felt by them among, we'll say, some of the independent moderate voters? Well, I think to, to John's point earlier, it should. I mean, in all honesty, uh, we four conservative guys sitting here reading this saying, oh, my goodness, this is this is basically their book called How We Did It. You know, it's, it's all right there. <laughs> uh, it's interesting, though, especially with regard to uh, Podhorger, because I'm sure a lot of this, you know, we need to make sure the election's free and fair. I mean, f- quoting from the article, Trump's election in 2016 was credited in part to his unusual strength among the sort of blue-collar white voters who once dominated the AFL-CIO. So quite frankly, they were looking at it from the standpoint of, oh, my gosh, you sunk my battleship in 2016 i got to get make sure that we get those votes back but you know it's interesting when when you can what was it uh francis schaefer he who controls the word controls the world yeah i mean listen to this quote the scenario that the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a trump victory it was an election so calamitous that no results could be discerned at all they really fed that to their constituents and they believed it i mean the hook line and sinker you know what there's going to be problems it's going to be calamity if we don't get in here and change all the laws look at the statistics democrats are more likely to vote by mail than republicans so having a mail-in push would easily benefit them is it illegal or immoral not necessarily to change the laws but if the laws were changed illegally then by all means it gets so nuanced and so splintered we have a perfect example here in the people's republic with the issue of ballot harvesting there's some form of ballot harvesting in half of the states of the union california democrats were so incensed after the 2016 election that they passed ballot harvesting laws that made it a clean sweep in many republican strongholds in the 2018 midterms at the same time North Carolina Republicans were accused of ballot harvesting and they didn't have ballot harvesting laws and so who was leading the charge against illegal ballot harvesting it was the Democrats this is immoral this is illegal I can't believe you're doing this ballot harvesting but you're the ones championing in your states well yeah you know good for me but not for thee right I mean as long as it's legal and works to our advantage then we're all about it but the minute it's quote-unquote illegal and it works to against our advantage I think that and this is to John's point um, this is where the Republican Party really has to wake the heck up and say look this is what's happening behind the scenes and if you're not going to play this game you're not going to win elections John how does the Republican Party handle stuff like this because do we really uh, lower ourselves into the sewer of, okay, we'll find Republican-controlled legislatures, or better yet, not even legislatures. Let's just say Republican governors and secretaries of state, they just go ahead and say, all right, well, we're going to change the election laws without going through our legislature anyway to benefit Republicans. So uh, the law says, for example, you don't need voter ID. Well, no, we are ordering that you do. Well, no, but that's not what the law is. You know what? Too bad. Okay, well, vote by mail is allowed. Well, we're deciding vote by mail is not allowed, even though it was approved by the legislature, but now we say no. Uh, do Republicans just go ahead and do it? I can't imagine any judges would let them get away with that the way that liberal judges let the Democrats get away with doing stuff like that in Pennsylvania and other states. Well, and I, you know, going back to what the Republicans do, first of all, guys, better leadership. You know, these guys were very organized on their side, and they even talk about how typically they are not. Typically, in one of the, one of the meetings, they were talking about how, you know, typically liberals are, if it's not my idea, I don't want, anything, don't want anything to do with it. But yet, collectively, they got behind what the, you know, what happened during this last election in 2020. And by the way, that was through, really, there's a few individuals in that article that they talk about that really orchestrated the majority of what happened, which shows you that you know it doesn't take an army to make this happen it takes a good leader in front of the army to make this happen and guys that's where we miss out as Republicans. Now, on the other side of the fence, Bob, to answer your question, what do we do to combat this? First of all, we got to be better organized. I mean, that, that is the first right. thing that we have to do. Now, how do we attack it? You know, I don't know. There's, there's numerous, numerous ways we can do it. You know, bottom line is we need more voters, more Republican voters at the polls actually voting in, in those states, especially where it's really key. Let's face it. There's some states where maybe it's not as big of a deal as others, but there's some really key states and key areas where, you know, we need good, solid voter turnout and frankly guys we're weak in that area there's a lot of folks listening to us right now that attend church on a regular basis that probably don't vote that's some of the stuff that we need to change that we could get organized in on our side that maybe you know we're gonna have to fight some of the current voter laws that are there right now because frankly some of them are and they admitted it not legal and i think we need to go back and and, and review all of those but these are some of the things frankly we've talked about this in the past week past few weeks 
We were asleep at the wheel on some of these things. That This is where the Trump legal team and the folks that were around the campaign should have been paying more attention to this stuff. And frankly, guys, they got caught with their pants down. You know what's frustrating, though, about this, John, is that, and I know what you're saying, and I, I completely agree with you on that. What's frustrating about this is if we had a level playing field and all things were fair and equal as far as the dissemination of information in America, then we could have been asleep at the wheel and still won these elections. Remember the the studies and the research that came out of places like Media Research Center, where you take the stories that are bad for Joe Biden and positive for Donald Trump, and by suppressing those stories, they manipulated the election. Just one story, only the Hunter Biden story, just that story alone, 35% of Donald Trump's supporters, or I'm sorry, Joe Biden's supporters said they did not even know about the Hunter Biden story. And of all Joe Biden voters, this was after the election, 4.7% of all Joe Biden voters said, had I have just known about the Hunter Biden story, I would have not voted for Joe Biden. Some would have voted for Trump, some would have went third party, some would have stayed home. But 4.7% expressed buyer's remorse after just finding out about the Hunter Biden story after the fact. This is what Google, big tech, uh, Twitter, uh, in the censoring of the New York Post story and everything else. So just that one story, let alone all the other stories that were favorable to Trump and disfavorable to Joe Biden. So I guess, John, that's what's frustrating about this is that we could be asleep at the wheel and still win these elections if it were a fair game. So you're right, we can't be asleep at the wheel, but the reason we have to fight so hard is we have to overcome the unlevel playing field here and run up the down escalator just to win. Yes, we do, and we've talked about that also in the past. This is like the... You know, the Christian school that plays the public school where the public school has the referees in their back pocket, which, by the way, happens all too often. I'll get, we, we could do a whole show on that, to be honest with you. But this is very much the same way. And, and most of those coaches that are in those particular situations know that they've got to put a better team on the field, play a better game, have a, have a cleaner game, not have any penalties, not give them any, any fodder, if you would, to go after them about. And that's how they have to win. And frankly, we're going to have to do the exact same thing. It's no different. Yeah, so true. Hang on a second, everybody. Short break, and we'll continue this discussion here on the National Crawford Roundtable. I do want to take one more moment right now and just appeal to all of you. If you did not go online to crawfordmediagroup.net earlier and sponsor a child through Compassion International, would you make that decision to do it right now? crawfordmediagroup.net click on the Compassion International link and you'll see a bunch of children there that have been waiting, many of them for a long time for a sponsor. Remember folks, Compassion International is a Christian ministry. They've been around for almost 70 years now and they're set up all over the world in the poorest villages. The poorest villages where you have children that are literally living in shacks, huts, dirt floors, no electricity, no running water, no bathrooms to go to, begging for food. Look, I've been on these missions trips many times over the years. I've seen with my own eyes children crying as they dig through garbage dumps, competing with dogs to find scraps of food to be able to eat. This is life for them, folks. And so, yes, I'm asking you right now, would you decide to spend $38 a month, a buck and a quarter a day, and sponsor one of these children. Compassion International does all the work. The only work you do is paying for it every month, 38 bucks a month. And here's what you do. Just go to crawfordmediagroup.net and click on the Compassion link. You can sponsor a child right there. And you can go to bed every night knowing that child is getting all the hot food they want every day and clean drinking water and medical care and classroom education and being taught about Jesus Christ. While they write letters to you and color pictures for you, thanking you for doing this for them because they'll know you and you can write letters back to them. So go now, crawfordmediagroup.net, okay? As we continue this national Crawford Roundtable podcast with Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco, we're talking about the Time Magazine article and basically the admission uh, of Time Magazine that, yep, there was a very detailed, concerted effort to uh, pretty much rig the election, to steal the election, but we're not calling it that because uh, we say it was a good and noble thing. Uh, Neil, what are your thoughts? Neil Boron, what are your thoughts about uh, how Republicans respond to this? I mean, we do need to 
be better. The Republican Party needs to do a better job organizing, no doubt about that. But we don't want to cross the line into dishonesty and cheating as well, but we do want to be shrewd. How do we figure out where that line is drawn? I know we got about 60 seconds till the break, but how would you answer that? I don't know, but if I knew the answer, I'd publish a book and I'd be a wealthy man, seriously, because it's if you think about the alliance that was formed here, you've got uh, even traditional you know, conservative slash Republican kind of favorable groups like the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, you know, joining hands with labor unions. Like, that doesn't really happen. Uh, you had supposedly some Trump supporters were a part of this whole thing. Um, and, and then you got, you know, major players in the Democrat Party and all kinds of activist groups, but also, you know, apparently like direct connection to Black Lives Matter and Antifa as if they have these people's cell phone numbers to be able to activate them and get them on the street to be a part of strategic protests at various times throughout the election cycle, either right before the election or just after, and sometimes telling them don't go out and protest or maybe we do need you to protest. I 100% agree that the Republicans got outsmarted in this. We have talked about it in previous podcasts, but I mean, the bottom line is, bottom line is I, I think that a lot of... Uh, Problems were created by the fact that, that the Democrats spent way more time in the film room. You know, like they were they were preparing for this for four years and the Republicans were asleep at the switch. I don't know the answer, but something clearly needs to be done because this kind of thing will be perpetuated. I mean, it was tremendously successful and it's going to happen again unless somebody wakes up and does something about it. Yeah, so true. Uh, folks, we're going to continue the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable. And if you want to listen to the second half, you can listen online, okay? And best place to do this online, just go to crawfordmediagroup.net, all right, crawfordmediagroup.net. Uh, and by the way, there's archives of past shows you can listen to there as well. And you can also obviously listen to us by subscribing to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Uh, if you do, we'd love it if you'd give us a nice five-star review on the podcast. But in the second half, we're going to move to uh, talking about the impeachment hearings and what's happening in the impeachment trial going on this week. Uh, how do we analyze and understand this? Uh, what is the significance of all of this as well? Why is this happening? So second half of the National Crawford Roundtable coming up. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable with myself, Bob Duco, out of Detroit, with John Rush of Rush to Reason from Denver, Colorado, with Neil Boron of Neil Q. Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York, Roger Comrade Marsh from the People's Republic of California. Uh, wouldn't be the same, guys, without without our nicknames. Uh, so let's just kind of put put a cap now on what we were talking about before we, before we move to the uh, – before we move to the impeachment trial, we've been talking about the Time Magazine article that seems to admit, uh, hey, we, we Donald Trump needed to lose, Joe Biden needed to win, and so here's the cabal, here's the effort, here's the work, here's the changing of the laws, here's the manipulating of information and controlling perceptions and information. Here's all the work that went into this to basically make the fix in that Joe Biden is going to win no matter what. But this was a good and noble thing that we did. It was necessary. Uh, and so therefore, uh, we're proud and bragging about what we did. Seems to me that Trump supporters have a legitimate reason to go, see, look, the left is admitting what they did. We told you this election was stolen. That's kind of my takeaway from this, but I'd like to kind of get everybody's final thought and their takeaway from this as we go around the table. Uh, Neil Boron, what's your final thought on the Time Magazine piece and, and your final takeaway from it? Well, I'd suggest that all, you know, rational Americans who love democracy read it because uh, it's telling. And there's way more between the lines than is ever clearly stated here. And Bob, I don't disagree that the implications you raised earlier that like, hey, we cheated, but we got away with it, that that comes out loud and clear in this kind of article, but they never, they never state that directly. And so, you know, you kind of have to read between the lines and try to figure out exactly what they're saying. But the bottom line is, this is not what the average American understands about free and fair elections. You know, we just think that, well, our, our local voting you know, election commission is uh, helping to coordinate what happens in our state, and we're going to go and we're going to vote, whether it's by mail or in person. And uh, hopefully, the best you know, may the best man win. 
that is not at all what was going on in this particular case. There were strategic alliances formed in advance of the election. Um, key states, 37 key states were targeted, you know, for direct effort on this kind of thing. And that they've, to me, the most compelling and uh, uh, I think disturbing reality of the whole thing is the notion that, well, if, if everything comes out as normal, if there's a free and fair election, and this is what we want to protect, of course, that Joe Biden wins and Trump will try to challenge that. He'll try to get it overturned because, of course, there's no way he could win if it was ever just free and fair. So what we have to do is we have to put this entire machine in play and uh, manipulate what happens in various states so that everything can be free and fair, which, of course, is the admission then that <laughs> that this election was, in fact, man manipulated. But the vast majority of the American people don't know it, and I think uh, we need to we need to we need to be better about understanding what's actually happening in our country and understand that our freedom and our democracy is under assault and it's being taken away from us while we're asleep at the switch and i think republicans have to do a way conservatives whoever need to do a way better job of understanding this kind of stuff and get busy now not wait till four years from now when the next election rolls around john what's your takeaway on this time piece? yeah no i, I agree I, I think this was really a playbook that the other side is now giving up, which I can't believe they did this, but they're really giving a playbook up as to how they won this last election, which definitely could be used in the future. And to Neil's point, I think the American public needs to wake up and realize that, wait a minute, there can be some very manipulative forces, which is what I would say went on here. There's some very manipulative forces out there that can change the outcome of probably any election worldwide, but we weren't supposed to have that happen in the United States of America. This is probably the first time we've really ever seen the actual blueprint for how this has been done. Not saying this hasn't ever happened in the past, but I think now we actually have a blueprint of what the other side did to make this happen. And like I said, these guys, frankly, I think are are as dumb as rocks to share this information. I mean, they're giving this victory lap and then giving up all the information as to how they won the election. And frankly, guys, I don't know why they are. If I was in charge of all of that, I would be saying, wait a minute, time out. We don't want to give our playbook up. Right. And uh, Roger Marsh, we'll, we'll wrap this segment up with you. What do you think? What's your final analysis and takeaway from this timepiece? Well, I was listening as Neil was sharing about, uh, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, involvement. And gosh, you know, we, we as Americans used to think of the Chamber of Commerce as a force of good. Perhaps no one noticed that earlier this morning, the 24-year current head of the Chamber of Commerce resigned and quietly just kind of moved into retirement and he's being replaced by a woman. Of course, the media story is now the first woman to ever run the Chamber of Commerce. The, 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 basically, the battle lines have been drawn in the battle versus good versus evil. And we're not saying Republican versus Democrat. Basically, the elitists who think they're smarter than most people and the people who are sitting around thinking. What is it? Scripture tells us that the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to people who are perishing. There mm -hmm. are definitely two distinct, not just Americas, but there are two different worldviews right now that are really at odds with each other. There's a biblical worldview that really does want truth and justice and fairness and, you know, God's grace and provision for all people, especially for those who have yet to receive the gospel message of salvation. We want them to have that. But on the other side, there are a number of other people who I think, to John's point, can't, we can't believe that they're being so blatant about this because they can't believe that we're smart enough to actually see what they're doing. I mean, in all honesty, it's the hospital gown mentality you know where it just says well i'm covered up you know because i can no one can see my front but i can see your backside well if we're all wearing the same gown everybody can see everybody's butt you know i mean it's, it's really when you get right down to it there, there's nothing there's nothing that is really all that new the fact that they're being so blatant about it now the key is if in 2022 the gop doesn't learn anything from articles like this then it's really on them and and that's back to john's point i think about better leadership better organization and maybe there's a third party maybe there's not maybe the whole system gets a uh, you know flushed you know, because quite frankly that they they threw literally everything they had i mean this is kind of i mean if i can use a musical analogy what the democrats did for the 2020 election is basically toto four you know where they were about to lose their recording contract they threw every musical style they possibly could into a record and it wound up being the most successful one of their career so i mean not that we would expect the guys in Toto to be our leaders, but nonetheless, I mean, Poor I think Toto. that's kind. Of, that's kind of yeah. But you know, I mean, that's where we got Rosanna from. You know, I mean, that's where we got that. It all came out of a, that desperation of like, hey, if we don't come up with a bunch of hits, we're all going to die. And that's really their thought was, if we don't do whatever we possibly can to change laws and increase mail-in voting and all that stuff, then Donald Trump's going to get elected, and that's going to be the end of the world. And and we all know that that wouldn't have been the end of the world. It would have been probably good for America. But now it's just playing out the way it is. So uh, you know, I. I 
credit where credit is due. It's right here in front of us. Anybody who is naive enough to think that there aren't people working behind the scenes to do this kind of stuff, this is your wake-up call. All right. Uh, let's shift over to the impeachment trial that's going on this week. Uh, now, for those of you listening to this podcast, so you know, we're broadcasting this on Wednesday morning. So anything that's happened after Wednesday morning, obviously, we don't know about yet, but we can speak to what's taken place so far. Uh, yesterday, which was Tuesday for us, uh, was kind of the official beginning of the, the trial itself. The Democrats made their presentation, and I'd kind of like to go around the table and get everybody's immediate thoughts on what we saw so far. It appears that the Democrats uh, once again outperformed the Republicans in that they put together a slick campaign, a Hollywood-style video presentation that was extremely deceptively edited to make it look as though Donald Trump really was inciting this horrible violence that happened on January 6th. Uh, they played to a lot of emotion, people getting choked up and choking back tears and everything else. And so it was uh, high on emotion, but it was really low on truth. Then the Republican Republicans get up there, including the first attorney, Castor, and just kind of meanders through a whole bunch of disjointed views and opinions about stuff. It didn't appear to be that organized. And I'm just sitting there, my eye is twitching, thinking, oh, come on, are we really that lousy at organizing a very simple, you know, presentation okay? I mean, pastors do this all the time. It's our seven-point presentation, and every point begins with the same letter. I mean, there's a simplicity here that needs to be applied. The Democrats know how to do this with slick smoke and mirrors. The Republicans seem like they just you know, blurt stuff out in a disjointed way and hope that something sticks to the wall. And it just... It's really frustrating, especially when the Democrats are the ones that have such an uphill battle to try to prove something that is clearly not provable. So that's my immediate takeaway on what's been happening so far in the presentation of this. John Rush, what's your take? And by the way, John, I, I do know we got to go into a break here, but your thoughts yep. on the impeachment trial so far? Let's do that. We'll take a quick break. We'll come right back. This is the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. Michael Yusuf leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Yusuf. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen. And be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And we're back, National Crawford Roundtable. Myself, Bob, Neil, and Roger, of course, out in California. And, and, I, and truthfully, guys, I have not, other than what I've read, I have not watched any of the videos. I have not watched any of the testimony, Bob, that you've talked about. I've read a lot. Um, you know, had plenty of other things going on this week in regards to some of the other things we just talked about, you know, this 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 last uh, half hour. And, and the reality is, Bob, I hate to say this, but I'm not shocked at anything you just said. And again, we go back to the timepiece article, and, and you look at how organized everything was on that side, and you look at really, in a way, how disorganized maybe we were on our side. And am I surprised at anything you just said a moment ago? Uh, I hate to say no, I'm really not surprised. Yeah. Uh, Roger Marsh, what's your take so far on the presentations, at least, of the two sides? Well, not surprised, unfortunately, at all. I mean, Bruce Castor said after he, you know, he had a whole presentation all lined up, he saw the initial emotional stuff that the Democrats put together, and he pivoted. I mean, who in their right mind pivots in a trial like this? I mean, mm -hmm. you... Bob, you talked about the extemporaneous uh, nature of pastoral ministry. There are times when you have to get up there and you know do that three-point alliterative sermon uh -huh. that is something that you're kind of going off of what you know in terms of what you know. But if you're preaching the gospel, the gospel doesn't change, right? So you don't have to worry about someone coming in and making a huge presentation against you. In this case, the, the deck is completely stacked against the Republicans in the sense that uh, the, the president does have a growing number of people who said, look, 
you were out there with this inflammatory language, you did these Jericho marches, you did all these things, and this thing happened on the Capitol. Whether it was your doing or not, we can put the two together, and therefore you should be impeached for inciting insurrection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For the fact that uh, Castor just said, yeah, you know, I just, I, I, I'm going to, we're just going to, you know, denounce the repugnant attack. I mean, it's just going to, we're, we're just going to denounce, denounce, denounce. Well, nobody has time for that. I mean, they're, just, they're really not going to. I'm not surprised that Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney voted and said, yeah, let's go ahead with the proceedings. Um, that was a strategic move on their part. The reality is they still need 67 votes to get this thing done, and I don't think they're going to get it. It's all theater anyway. So quite mm -hmm. frankly, if you know it's all theater anyway, why not put on your best performance? Right. I know. I agree. Uh, Neil Boron, Neil, what do you say? Well, I agree it's all theater, but that's exactly why I don't think they care to put on their best performance because I don't think they feel that it's necessary. I, I don't believe for a minute that uh, they're going to find the 17 votes they need amongst Republicans in the Senate to uh, to convict him, uh, you know, on these charges of incitement of insurrection. Um, to be clear, you know, in previous conversations, I have said I do believe that the president was reckless only in the sense that uh, what was the point of that rally anyway? What's the point? You're bringing all these people to Washington to do what? To get, you know, the vice president to uh, do something that most scholars agree is unconstitutional and just flip the results of the election? I don't think there was anything to be gained. So what was the point of the rally? And in that sense, and I think that at times the president speaks recklessly. We know that he speaks off the cuff and he he says inflammatory things. Is he guilty of incitement of insurrection? Absolutely not. Not even close. He didn't plan and organize with these guys in advance. And in fact, the information is beginning to come out about just how organized these groups were in advance uh, on their own accord to come to Washington and stir up trouble. But all that said, uh, I, I think the Republicans, uh, you know, in the Senate feel that this is going nowhere. It, say whatever you want on the other side. Present whatever case you want. We're voting against uh, conviction here. He won't be quote, removed from office, even though he's out of office. And it's just a big charade. It's a, it's political theater at its best. And I don't think the Republicans care to even engage. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I guess I would just like to see the Republicans get up there and just make a very simple, sometimes you got to keep, you know, the old keep it simple, stupid. Sometimes you just, you have to do that because you got to recognize this is marketing to the American public. Okay. And so right, uh, right. It, it's like, okay, there are four, and here's just my, if I was on the team, I'd be like, if I were presenting it, it'd be like, okay, there are four basic facts that do not change. No matter what the Democrats say, no matter how much smoke and mirrors they give you, okay, there are four basic facts that do not change. Number one, Donald Trump is not the president anymore. Impeachment is about removing the president. So there's an absurdity to this entire process. That's fact number one. Fact number two is the FBI has now confirmed that this riot was pre-planned and they even started the planning of it as early as back in November of 2020. So not for several days, but for several weeks this was pre-planned, orchestrated, and coordinated, you had approximately 140 people, is what the FBI is saying now, that were networking together, that already predetermined, we're going to show up on January 6th, and we're going to try to disrupt the U.S. Capitol and try to seize the Capitol. They decided to do that, and the other 99% of everybody at that rally was not part of that and had nothing to do with that whatsoever, including Donald Trump. So how do you incite a riot that was already pre-planned for several weeks? Uh, point number three, Donald Trump said, as you peacefully and patriotically march to the Capitol to let your voices be heard, not to let your mm -hmm. fists be felt, to let your voices be heard peacefully and patriotically. Uh, so when he uses language like... Uh, fight like blank, you know, the H word, all right? Uh, every, every, every politician, Republican and Democrat alike, use that term fight metaphorically. We need to fight. We won't give up the fight. Don't stop. We're going to take our country back. We're going to fight. And we're not even talking about the most incendiary of politicians. Every 
politician, the most mild-mannered politician says, but we need to fight, okay? I mean, everyone uses that term. So when Donald Trump stands up there and says, we need to fight like H, he's not saying anything different than any other politician says. And we that's all right. understand that that's metaphorical. Nobody is saying, hey, carry out acts of violence. But now retroactively, we're accusing Donald Trump of saying something outlandish by using the word fight. And then the yeah. fourth point that I want to make in this, and then I'll throw it out to the table, uh, is that the Democrats know full well that the, the words that Donald Trump spoke are nowhere close to as incendiary as the language that Democrats regularly speak, and no one has been offended by that. Nobody said Chuck Schumer should be impeached or removed from office when in 2020 he was he, he led a rally on the steps of the Supreme Court, and he was angry about the Trump-appointed conservatives ruling in a way that uh, that Trump wanted. And Chuck Schumer said, quote, hey, Gorsuch, hey, Kavanaugh, you have unleashed the whirlwind and you're going to pay the price. You won't know what hit you. And then remember, there was a violent storming of the of the Supreme Court uh, as the the angry Democrats were banging on the door trying to bust into the Supreme Court. There was no action taken against Chuck Schumer. There was no action taken against Nancy Pelosi in 2011 when in Wisconsin the state capitol building was overthrown by not a couple hundred but 2,000 angry union Democrats that were, that were upset and angry. And when they seized control of the capitol, Nancy Pelosi tweeted, quote, I stand with you and called this, quote, an impressive show of democracy in action. And, of course, we know Maxine Waters, the kind of things that she said. We know the Democrats have repeatedly encouraged the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots that happened last year. And then one final example I want to throw out on the table. Bernie Sanders, in May and June of 2017, was attacking Republicans for their health care plan in trying to undo Obamacare. Bernie Sanders said repeatedly, repeatedly, quote, the Republican health care plan is you die. Thousands will die, according to the Republicans plan. Well, guess what? June, during that same time, a man, a Bernie Sanders supporter, showed up at that practice ballpark of Republican members of Congress playing and tried to massacre all of them, yelling out, this is for health care. And Congressman Steve Scalise was wounded and nearly died. It took him a year before he could even walk again without a walker. Nothing happened to Bernie Sanders. Nothing happened to Nancy Pelosi. Nothing happened to Chuck Schumer, Maxine Waters, or any of the rest of them. Uh, Kamala Harris, even, after one of the riots last year, went on Steve Colbert and said, hey, they're not going to let up and they should not let up. And that was after one of the protests that involved riots. So I, I would like to see the Republicans, guys, put together a montage video of some of the stuff that Democrats said, play that for all of those senators in there to watch and see themselves on the screen, and then come out there and say, and you're going to impeach Donald Trump because he said, as you peacefully and patriotically let your voice be heard, enough of this insanity. And let them sell that to the American public. Guys, that's what I'm not seeing the Republicans do, and that's what drives me crazy about them. All right. That's I'm, – I'm out of breath. I'm done. I'm spent. Uh, I, I would love you guys' <laughs> thoughts and reaction on – on how the Republicans, in my honest opinion, stink at marketing a simple presentation yes. to the American yes. public. Yes, Bob, thank you. In fact, we have talked about this for really, the, I don't know how many podcasts here in the past couple of months we've talked about this in regards to what led up to the election, the election itself, how we you know, marketed the opposition to what was going on with the election. And on down the road we go, if there's anything we need to do better as conservatives is market better. I, I don't know why this is such a complicated issue for conservatives to figure out. I mean, just being dogmatic and spouting something out 
is not marketing. You've got to give, you know, you guys have talked about it through this podcast. You've got to give the full bore, full on press, you know, the full marketing, you know, whatever it takes, video, audio, you know, pictures, you name it, whatever you have to do to market this thing correctly, that's what you have to do. And and, and this is across the board for what we do. I mean, I talk, we, we all talk about this on our shows on a daily basis. If we're going to win in the future, any election, we have got to figure this stuff out. I know. Good point. Roger, what do you say? And I know, Roger, March, we got to go into a break here uh, again, but uh, your thoughts on this. Well, let's take that break and I'll come back with my thoughts on the other side of it. You're listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Well, welcome back to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast along with Bob and Neil and John. I'm Roger Marsh and we're talking about the image problem that the GOP has and I wholeheartedly agree with what you guys have been saying and and Bob, I hope we're getting enough oxygen to you to kind of get you back into the ring for another swing here because he really emptied the chambers on that one. But it, it's, it's, a, it's very, very well put. There is emotional uh, connection that people are looking for and I don't think people realize how strong that emotional connection really is anymore. We talk about things from a heart and mind perspective and the left is purely heart i mean it doesn't it doesn't get any more you know heartfelt than bruce springsteen singing about you know jeeps and unifying america at the super bowl i mean that's all heart if he even used half of a brain uh, the, and if jeep did too they wouldn't have put out such a ridiculous commercial but that's a perfect example of where the left is and what the left thinks is going to bring people together we know differently and yet what we're seeing with the impeachment trial is the fact that um, you've got you know the the gop when before the president's lead attorney to say, well, I just decided to pivot. I saw their theater and I tried to go real. No one wants to hear you're real. They want theater. They want theater first, and then there has to be something behind it. Right. So true. Uh, Neil, what is your uh, what is your take on that, Neil Boron? Well, yeah, I think I appreciate everything you guys have said. I'm not 100 percent sure, you know, what the Republicans ought to be doing to mount a defense on this thing. But it does occur to me that if you're going to, you know, for political theater and trying to capture the hearts and minds of the American people, then put together a put together a montage of all of the, you know, things you mentioned, the Maxine Waters statement, the Chuck Schumer statement, you know, where Nancy Pelosi, wherever people on the left or Democrats have said, look, it's time to fight. Put together a montage, play it, and say, you know, bottom line is Donald Trump tried to learn from what, um, you know, what he could uh, about the success you guys have had in politics, and we're taking our playbook from you. And so uh, thank you for leading the way and de- determining that it's important that Americans fight for what they believe in, and um, and that's what the president's doing. Because I don't think I don't think anything the Republicans do are going to change how the Republicans vote, uh, or that anything the Democrats present, in other words, are going to change the minds of the people in the uh, Republican side of the Senate. Uh, this thing's a foregone conclusion. Uh, Donald Trump is not going to be uh, forever removed from office by a guilty verdict that comes out of the Senate. So you might as well use it as an opportunity to practice your marketing skills for where you go from here and kind of at least sound the alarm that you're not going to let this kind of stuff just slide. Right. Well, you know, it it, it does seem, though, that a, a, a basic reality of politics here, and I know all of you guys know this all too well. John, let me throw this over to you, is that when we're talking about marketing here, it's not about swaying the entire uh, country or the entire no. electorate. We know that. It, no. It's not the, the Democrat, the hardcore liberals, nothing's going to change for nope. them. Hardcore conservatives, nope. nothing's going to change. But you know what? You got a you gotta gotta group talk of to people middle. in the middle. Yeah. You got That's these right. people in the middle, the independent. That's right. There's a bunch of people that voted for Joe Biden barely. It was almost a coin toss for them, but they were like, eh, you know what? 55 45. I'm going to go Joe Biden. I don't like either one of them, but I think I like Trump less, and so therefore I'm going to go with Biden. And you got some soccer moms, suburban housewives, kind of turned off by Trump's rhetoric and such, but they are swingable. And so it's like those people in the middle, all you got to do is get about five, maybe 10% of the people right on the fence in America and sway them with a persuasive argument. And that's enough to win most elections. But what we don't do a good job of, and guys, this is a lot like business. Bob, what you just said happens 
in the business world as well. You know, there are those hardcore supporters of your business that are going to show up at your doorstep no matter what. You know, they are, you know, sometimes family, friends of family, people that you've known for a very long time. They're your core. They're going to be there to the end. No matter what happens in your business, they're going to be there to support you. Then you've got, you know, probably some out there that hate your business. They're never going to come to your business. There's nothing you're going to ever do to convince them to show up at your business. But then you've got all these other customers, if you would, that are out there that you have to bring into the full. And the reality that we don't do a good job of is teaching our hardcore people how to communicate properly right. to the people you're talking about, Bob, to then get them to come into the full. In the in the business world, we call that referrals. The best business you know, advertising you've got is the referrals off of your own core base. And the reality is that's where we fail. Yeah, that we do. That we do. How do you think this thing – we only got a couple of minutes left here. How does this end up playing out, this, uh, this impeachment thing? Might this – John, as I was talking with you, will this backfire on the Democrats? Will those people in the middle look at this and see it for what it is and go? I think they already are. I, yeah. I think some of the some of the articles and things I've already read, people, you know, they're tired of already hearing about Trump. They want to move on. They want to figure out what's going on with you know stimulus and how are we going to get the economy back on track? How are we going to get coronavirus handled and ended and really kind of get back to some normalcy in the country? And I think people right now are already waning on this and wondering what do you what are you guys doing there? First of all, this thing's not going to pass. This is all theater. We've already determined even yesterday with the vote to even proceed. There's not enough votes there for a majority. So the reality is this is all a lot to do about nothing yeah uh roger marsh uh, what do you uh what do you think here can will, will this backfire on the democrats frankly i don't think they want donald trump to go away i just don't think they want him to be in power but they want him to be the shiny object that everybody focuses on while like the magician on the stage distracts everybody with the shiny object while he slips some cards into his pocket with his other hand i i i, I think they want everybody focusing on donald trump and a collective repulsion of him while they quietly slip a bunch of their liberal leftist Marxist agenda without having the American public debate it and see it for what it really is. I think you nailed it. That This is the remember a lot of the talk was is this going to interrupt biden's first hundred days you know we got all the executive orders we got this socialist marxist agenda that needs to get done and if they've got the theater of the of the trial then it, they'll never get it done well now you've got a big shiny object so everyone's going to be focusing on that and pay no attention to the transgender mm -hmm. bills and the mexico city policy mm -hmm. and all the other right. things he's going to incorporate so uh, basically the impeachment is as useful as the democrats want it to be and in all honesty i think the president shot himself in the foot he wouldn't even be having this situation if he hadn't gone on his I'm going to win at all costs type of thing and basically cost the P GOP both seats in Georgia as far as the Senate goes. So, I mean, he does kind of have a little responsibility in that front to, to play. But at the end yeah. of the day, Donald Trump is good theater. He's good business for you know, whether you love him or hate him. The media is going to keep him around as long as they possibly can. Yes, there are some progressive Democrats that want to punish him and they like to see him suffer, you know, and, and that type of stuff. Let's get him banned from Twitter. Let's get you know, what is he going to start his own social media network, that type of stuff. They'll find a way to keep him around, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, as far as the American people goes, the vote's not there. Uh, Collins, Murkowski, et al. did what they needed to do for their constituents to say, see, I stood up to the whole deal, and I'm not opposed to, you know, going the other way if I need to, but oops, we don't have enough votes, so he's not going to get impeached. And then they're just going to have to wonder, well, are they trying to ban him from running for office ever again? It sounds like they are. They'll come up with something else. I mean, let's face it. I mean, as long as he's good for business, you know the idiom. You find something that works and you beat it to death until it stops moving. Yeah, so true. I want to throw something at you guys before Neil speaks. My son sent me this, and I think this sums up really everything we've been talking about for the first half hour and then partly even into the impeachment part of it. He said, because I sent him the article we talked about from Time Magazine. Interesting article you sent. Again, if Trump hadn't been so dumb, he wins easily. It took a massive effort to unseat him, and even then, they barely won. To think this country is overwhelmingly Democrat is false. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Neil, put a cap on this whole thing for us, if you would. Well, uh, I don't know. There's it, it's, Reading the article that we read earlier and then looking at what's happening with the impeachment thing, and, and you know, between the Time Magazine article and our conversation here in the last 20 minutes or so, it, it's kind of disheartening. And at times you wonder, you know, what is it worth it? Like, is it going anywhere? Largely because, uh, John, what you said is right. I think the vast majority of the American people are way more conservative than the media would ever give them credit for, uh, which means that 
victory as far as conservative values and you know biblical values and that stuff is really not that far away bob you were right about that part so you know but on the other hand you feel like big tech is against you and there's people colluding behind the scenes you know many of these uh, special interest groups and and uh, business executives and others getting together to make sure that these elections turn out the way that they want them to turn out and you say like is it even worth the fight well i, I think it is you know the bottom line is uh, being guaranteed of a win doesn't mean you don't show up to play the game. And um, there are no guarantees in life except for what we see in Scripture. And so I think as believers, we need to be first and foremost about the mandate God's given us to preach the gospel to all nations and to be light in the midst of darkness and despair, um, to do what we know is right, because to not do it is sin, the Bible says. And so I think that we stick it out, but uh, remembering who we are first and foremost, because uh, Christianity isn't going to prosper as a result of the Republican Party prospering. Uh, mm-hmm. God's plan and purpose is going to be fulfilled by us simply being obedient to it. Right. And as we have opportunity to bring the light and love of Christ into other dimensions like the political arena, then I think we do what we can in those areas. But, you know, bottom line is there's a lot more shenanigans going on <laughs> behind the scenes than anybody is really aware of. And we know that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And I think we can't lose sight of that as believers. So our hope really isn't in simply better strategies. It's in the God that we serve. And I hope none of us have lost hope in in a conversation like this. Um, There's no reason to, because we know how it all turns out in the end. So So, uh, read the article from Time, and then read the last two chapters of Revelation, and you'll feel better about what's happening in the world today. (laughs) That's great, Neil. Thanks a lot, guys. And always great catching up with you. Want to remind everybody out there, you can listen to us by going to crawfordmediagroup.net. You can access previous archive shows. When you're at crawfordmediagroup.net, please click on the Compassion International link. Sponsor a child there, if you would. Uh, You can also listen at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And we always welcome five-star reviews. Thank you so much. And on behalf of Roger Marsh, Neil Boyd, Oran, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens, brought to you by Compassion International, a worldwide ministry bringing hope and Jesus to children in need. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the Compassion logo to sponsor a child. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more, and it's also available at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. You can give this podcast a five-star rating on your Apple app and be sure to look for the notification on your National Crawford Roundtable podcast app for when the next weekly edition is ready for you to hear. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.